When Chinan had lived 55 years, he became the father of Don Chin. After he became the father of Don, Chinan lived 32 years. Altogether, Chinan lived a total of 87 years, and then he died. When Don had lived 27 years, he became the father of Scott Chin. After he became the father of Scott, Don has lived another 50 years. Altogether, Don has lived a total of 77 years, and one day he will die. When Scott had lived 27 years, he became the father of Spencer Chin. After he became the father of Spencer, Scott has lived another 23 years. Altogether, Scott has lived a total of 50 years, and one day he will die. When Spencer had lived 23 years, he had or he was still single and childless. He also was blessed with the privilege to preach on Genesis 5. Oh, also, one day he will die. So yes, I'm Spencer Chin. Also, yes, I talk in the third person sometimes. As my mom says, it's a pandemic. But in all seriousness, it's my pleasure as a member of COV uh, to open God's word with you for a second time this pandemic season. So welcome to COV, and glad you are able to join us in our Genesis series, In the Beginning, Jesus. So you may be asking, why start a sermon about a long, boring genealogy with a slightly shorter, but still as boring genealogy? Well, first, I think I'm pretty clever and funny sometimes, but mostly it's actually to help us look at genealogies in a different light and to see that they aren't simply the part of the Bible we should just skim over in our Bible reading plan. Okay, so if we're actually going to read this genealogy, what is there to see? Numbers. For all you nerds out there like me, uh, you notice the numbers, right? For my genealogy, you might have noticed that my dad and grandpa both had their first son at 27. So that means I've got about four years. Or... With the line of Adam, you can throw out the oldest man who ever lived, Methuselah, 969 years, or you could calculate the time period from Adam to Noah, 1656 years, and sure, those numbers have some value, right? Having kids at 16 or 50 probably isn't as wise at 27, but if we focus on them too much, I think we miss the main point. So while there are sermons out there on this passage that will tell you exactly how old the earth is, or why or why not to view everything as literal, again, I think that misses the main point. So I'm going to preach this passage literally, because that is how Paul, Jesus, and others spoke of these individuals. But I don't want that to distract us from the main point of what I think God, through Moses and the Holy Spirit, is trying to communicate to us. So what is the main point that I'm talking about? Well, if you've been paying attention at all during this Genesis series, you know that the point is Jesus and the good news about him, how the Son of God lived the life that we couldn't, died the death we deserve, and rose again conquering sin and death, and is coming back sooner today than yesterday. We call this the gospel. So how do we see this good news in this nice long list of names? Well, to start, we can look at a modern use of genealogies, medical history. So when you go to the doctor and they ask you if you have a history of X, Y, or Z, really what they're asking you is if you have inherited some potential problems. Well, for me, I've inherited some propensity for high blood pressure, you know, not super tall, oily, acne-prone skin, lactose intolerance. Thanks, mom and dad. 
And if I have a son or daughter, they will get to thank me for all the problems they inherit from me. Now, you may be thinking, wow, that sucks to have that medical history, or man, that's nothing compared to what I have to deal with. But you know something that we all have in common? I'll give you a hint. It's mentioned in Genesis 5 and my own genealogy, a little piece of medical history that we all have in common. Yeah, we're all going to die. Death. There's something about it that overshadows our other medical history, right? No matter how the lack of ice cream in my life has affected me, death stands a little bit more strongly, right? It defines our history. What everyone has on their gravestone is the day they're born and the day they die. And no matter how long that dash in the middle is, they all come to an end. Wow. Thanks for the depressing reminder, Spencer. Well, good thing we don't stop here. Remember what I said the point was? Jesus. You see, God had a plan for this story of death. Let's do a quick review of Genesis so far. So chapter one, God created, and it was good, 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 and very good, right? Chapter two, right, God has the Sabbath, marriage, and work, and those were all good. But then chapter three happens, right? Man eats the fruit, and sin breaks all these things that were good, right? We have shame, the curse, marriage is broken, Chapter four that Karen talked about last week, enter sibling murder and jealousy. And we're going to skip chapter five for now. But looking ahead, chapter six, pretty much things get so bad, God wipes out most of humanity. So to summarize, God created and it was good. And then man chose and it was bad and it got worse. So the first point of this genealogy is it is a but God moment in the narrative of creation was good and then man messes it up. So Genesis 5, 1 to 2. This is the written account of Adam's family line. When God created mankind, he made them in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them, and he named them mankind when they were created. So this is the third description of creation, and it is interesting, no mention of the fall, the curse, or any of the other bad stuff is mentioned until Adam dies later on in verse 5. So what do we notice in this two-verse summary of creation that is the context for this genealogy? Well, it's all about what God does, right? He created, made, blessed, and named. It's all about him and his intention for good, right? He made man special in his likeness. He created male and female relationships to be fruitful and multiply, he blessed us. And last of all, he named us. You're right, man named other things, but God named us, setting us apart for a special relationship with him and the rest of creation. And ultimately, this positive creation account, demonstrating God's good intention to bless man, is the context preceding a list of death spreading through the generations. Right? The context of death is God's intent to bless man. And so we see one of the first examples of God's grace, his undeserved favor toward us, right? God was true in his word that Adam and Eve would surely die if they ate of the fruit. Yet his blessing was also enabled that they were able to be fruitful and multiply. And that mercy had nothing to do with man's goodness. But in spite of it, God was perfectly justified to destroy man the moment they ate of the fruit, but he had other plans. 
And if we fast forward through the line of Adam with the continual problem of death, but the mercy of continued life, we see the ultimate, but God being prepared. That's Jesus, right? We have this continual cycle of life and death, reminding us of God's mercy and justice, but still the ultimate problem of death remained until Jesus. Isaiah 25, 8, he will swallow up death for all time, and the Lord God will wipe tears away from all faces, and he will remove the reproach of his people from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. So while we can see in this genealogy the culmination of man's sin, death, the emphasis is on God's good and plan to bless man. It is the but God moment in the midst of the darkness of Genesis 3 through 6. And ultimately, Jesus comes from this line of humans broken by the power of sin and rises up to conquer death. And you see this genealogy isn't just mentioned here, but also in Luke, although it's a bit backwards. So in Luke 3, Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph, and then a bunch of names in between. But it ends with the son of Noah, and the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalel, the son of Canaan, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. So you see that the but God of Genesis 5 points and prepares the way for the ultimate but God in Jesus Christ. So now that we've discussed the but God statement that is being made in Genesis 5, especially in regards to sin and death, Let's continue on in the passage and take a look at Seth and brokenness. So Genesis 5, 3 to 5. When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. After Seth was born, Adam lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Adam lived a total of 930 years, and then he died. All right, so let's talk about Seth. I think we can come to some interesting insights into our own condition by watching this third son of Adam. So yeah, let's step into his shoes for a bit. So, mom and dad, what happened to my older brothers? Well, son, you see, we're kind of new to this whole parenting thing. And uh, yeah, Cain killed Adam, so now he's dead. Oh, so what is death? Ah, jeez. Well, you see, we, God gave me this woman. Mm-hmm. All right, well, long story short, we ate some fruit that we shouldn't have, and the punishment is death for us and our children, and their children, and their children, and their children. Oh, but you guys learned your lesson, right? Like, you don't do the bad things anymore. Ah, uh, well... You see, with this whole knowledge of good and evil thing, we still kind of choose evil a lot of the time. Your mom and I, we figured out marital disagreements and shame pretty quickly. And Cain's got murder and jealousy. So, yeah, who knows what you'll figure out in your 912 years. Okay, well, I tell this kind of comical story to highlight the three ways that we experience brokenness in this world. We're born broken two broken people into a broken world. So, born broken. We are made in the image of God. Yes, 
but we are also made in the image of man, right? In verse three, when Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image. So what was good has been tainted by Adam's sin. But you see, it isn't just that we are descended from Adam and are thus tainted. As my small group talked about, sin from Adam is like a virus and not a poison, right? Poison, you see, becomes more diluted over time. So maybe Adam sinned and we're stuck with the consequences of his sin. Boo-hoo, how unfair. But, you know, we have less sin or less responsibility as it you know, goes down the generations. No. Sin is a virus that reproduces in the host as it spreads. Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. So yes, death and sin came through Adam. But death, the wages of sin, is earned by everyone, you and me, because we all sin. We are all broken. And we also experience this inherited brokenness in our daily lives, even as believers. In the words of Paul in Romans 7.15, I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do I do not do, but what I hate I do. Sin pollutes every part of our lives. Do you ever wonder why, like Paul did, right? Why did I say that and tear that person down instead of building them up? Why do I keep returning to this sin? Why do I spend time watching Netflix rather than being with those that I love? Why am I so unfaithful at work? Why am I not content? Why do I keep playing the blame game? And why am I so prideful and make everything about me? So not only do we bear the consequence of sin through death, but we continue to sin and earn that consequence many times over. Born Bokren, raised by broken people. Parental brokenness, yay! Seth not only inherited Adam's problem of sin, but also was raised by sinful, broken parents. So, you know, Adam and Eve probably weren't the best parents, right? They failed themselves at the whole, you know, don't touch, don't eat side of things. They were also pretty new to this whole good and evil thing, and they didn't have all the parenting books that we have today. And not to mention, their first son murdered their second son. And I mean, we've all kind of experienced this to some extent or another as we grow up and realize that our parents aren't perfect. Shocking, I know. So it's, you know, kind of fun when you hit puberty and your voice sounds like your dad. But then you realize that your sin also starts to sound pretty similar, right? My dad is wonderful. He loves my mom and serves the Lord. But we both struggle with pride, overvaluing words of affirmation, and being too stingy with money, and I could go on. But this is not just a phenomenon that we see in our own lives or in the life of a significant other, but something that we see in society as a whole. Right? Rates of alcoholism, substance abuse, divorce, and imprisonment are all significantly higher in children of parents who struggled with the same. So, born broken, raised by broken people in a broken world. So yeah, it's a broken world out there. We're pretty aware of that in 2020-2021, which has been one heck of a party. But we should be careful to think that we are special, to wish that we are in a different generation. Right? Every generation is broken. 
right? Seth's generation discovered new ways to sin and break things. And then God started over with Noah. And yet we still find new ways to sin and break things, right? Bigger wars on different battlefields, new ways to lie, lust, and languish online. I think you kind of get the point. So first death and now three types of brokenness. Wow. Spencer, you have the gift of encouragement. All right. Have no fear. Jesus is here. And by here, I mean that he stepped into our brokenness, right? As a man himself. So one, Jesus was born broken. Okay. No, he was not stained by Adam's original sin, but he still felt temptation. Hebrews 4.15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Or another one, Jesus was hungry. Okay, two, Jesus was born to broken parents. Sorry, Mary, but even you realize that you aren't sinless and sang for your need of a savior. In Luke 1, 47, she says, My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. And three, Jesus was born into a broken world. Example A, Herod killed all the newborn boys in Bethlehem around Jesus' age when he was born. Yeah, that's pretty messed up. And 33 years later, Jesus entered willingly into death on a Roman cross in the place of sinners like Barabbas, you, and me. So Jesus, as a man, stepped into all the types of brokenness that we experience. But he does not leave us there, but offers healing. Right? So one, Jesus offers healing to broken individuals. In addition to defeating death, as we talked about earlier, Jesus understands our temptation and offers a way out. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide, will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So the way out of temptation is not trying harder, but it was provided by God through Jesus. Two, Jesus offers healing to broken families. So through Jesus, we can know the Father, the good Father, who is better than our broken parents. John 14, 6-7, No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. So through Jesus, we can know the Father. And every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. James 1, 17. And the Father is good, constant, even when our earthly families fail us and we fail them. And third, Jesus offers healing to a broken world. Romans 8, to 23, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. So not only have we been groaning under all this brokenness, but all of creation, from rocks to giraffes, await the certain hope of redemption founded on the empty tomb. So we, like Seth, experience three types of brokenness, 
that Jesus himself stepped into and offers healing for. So Jesus is kind of like duct tape. Without taking the metaphor too far, there are two similarities. So one, duct tape was invented and sent into the brokenness of World War II to seal ammunition cases, much as Jesus was sent into the broken world torn apart by sin. And two, duct tape is versatile. It was not only used for ammunition cases, but everything from boots to planes. Much as Jesus does not offer healing for some of the brokenness we experience, like one specific sin or relationship, but all of it. Right? Jesus is like duct tape, sent and versatile. So now I'm going to cover the rest of the verses. Chapter or verses six until the end pretty much repeat the pattern of blank was born, and then they had kids, and then they died. So instead of reading all the names and the numbers, I want to draw our attention to the differences between the line of Seth that we see here and the line of Cain that Karen talked about last week in Genesis 4. So to start talking about the differences, let's have a quick word on eternity. Ecclesiastes 3, 10 to 11 I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time, and he has set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Right, God set eternity on the hearts of man. Yet with sin, we seek it on our own, right? We try to make our own lasting impact. And if you look at the line of Cain, they did a much better job of making an impact at first, right? They invented things, cities, tents, livestock, music, engineering, you name it. But they also invented naming things after yourself, boasting, revenge. Unfortunately, they didn't have James to ask them this question. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. James 4, 14. So how did it turn out for them? It all got washed away, literally. The line of Seth, on the other hand, is not characterized by their accomplishments, but by their relationship to God. If we look closely, we can see two interesting overlaps in the names between the line of Cain and of Seth. They also happen to be the breaks in the pattern of the genealogy, and those are Enoch and Lamech. So Enoch. Enoch in Cain's line is his son, whom the first non-living thing is named after, the first city. Pretty big accomplishment, right? Right, we humans think it's pretty impressive to be old and first, right? Take Stonehenge, for example. Before COVID times, one million people would visit every year. Or, you know, take a look at church names, First Baptist or First Presbyterian or First whatever. Like, no one really wants to claim second. So, you know what Enoch of Seth's accomplishment was? Well, I mean, he only lived 365 years, which was the shortest. And honestly, if you're like me and normally kind of speed through these things, you may not have even noticed what was different about him. So, Genesis 5, to 24. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. 
Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Enoch walked faithfully with God. Then he was no more because God took him away. So yeah, impact on the world is pretty small when you only live a third the time as everyone else and don't even leave a body behind. But maybe the goal isn't to make an impact in the world that won't even dent eternity, but faithfulness to walk with the one whom we will spend eternity with. So to say it another way, impact won't dent eternity, but we can walk with God for eternity. And oh yeah, this Enoch shows up twice more in the Bible, one in Hebrews 11 in the Hall of Faith, having pleased God, and also in Jude 14, where he is attributed one of the first prophecies. So now on to Lamech. Karen talked last week about how Lamech of Cain bragged about his revenge being even greater than Cain's, how he took what God created to protect Cain as his own righteous judgment on any who would come against him. Yeah, great guy. On the other hand, Lamech of Seth named his son Noah, which means rest and comfort. He also spoke some words over Noah, which could be one of the first prophecies. Genesis 5, 28 to 29. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he had a son. He named him Noah and said, He will comfort us in the labor and painful toil of our hands, caused by the ground the Lord has cursed. So I won't get into Noah too much because that's the next couple weeks, but Lamech of Seth is interesting. Right, This Lamech chooses not to glorify himself, but looks forward to God's plan to bring comfort to the curse-plaguing man. He speaks of hope, not in himself and his ability to make something, but in the future of this line that God had chosen and the future deliverance. All right, so the way of man versus walking in God's plan. In general, I think we can sum up the line of Cain as those who follow the way of man, pursuing eternity and things that fade, trying to bring glory to themselves through accomplishment, impact, and bragging, and the line of Seth, on the other hand, is characterized by those who walk in God's plan. If you remember to the beginning of the passage, that was God's intent, was to bless man. Right? Like Enoch, we are meant to walk with the God of eternity. Like Lamech, we acknowledge the pain of the curse, but we're looking forward to the future hope, comfort, and reconciliation. Which brings me to my last illustration you all have been waiting for this Twix bar. So there's two ways that we can live in this broken world. And for my purposes, there are two things that I could do with this. All right, the first is pretty clear. It's following the plan for what this Twix was intended. To eat and enjoy it for however long it lingers. Mm. Right? This is how God intended our life to be a gift to his children, sweet relationship with the Father. I didn't plan how to chew all this. Right, we're supposed to enjoy the Twix bar, right? 
We're supposed to live our life how God intended, to be a gift to his children, sweet relationship with the Father. Unfortunately, since the garden, we haven't really walked in God's plan. So we take our lives and we do, you know, everything but what it was intended for, right? Maybe we worship it, put it on an altar and, you know, hope it lasts forever. But of course, it will get stale and gross. And maybe we reject it, throw it on the ground, smash it up, and, uh, yeah, yeah. Or, you know, maybe we're creatives and, uh, you know, we turn it into something really beautiful, you know, put it on our fridge and, uh, yeah. So, yeah, we like Cain's descendants, right? We take our lives and go our own way. And honestly, Seth's descendants, while they walked in God's plan somewhat, they only nibbled the candy bar, right? They still weren't perfect, right? Enoch walked with God only after he had a son, Methuselah. And Lamech hoped in comfort from the curse, but not quite the full restoration to come. So where does that lead us? Jesus. Jesus is the better Enoch. He walked with God perfectly his whole life. Through him, one man's life, death, and resurrection brought many to walk with the Father for eternity. Jesus is the better Lamech. He speaks not just comfort for his children, but the bringing of a kingdom that will heal the whole world. Jesus offers new life, rebirth, another chance to live, another candy bar. All right, so I'm pretty much done, and it's daylight savings time, so let's stretch. All right, so stretch your arms out like this, all right, and now make a circle like that. And there you go, you just got a virtual hug. So why a hug? So I've been talking about a lot of heavy stuff, and I just wanna acknowledge that, yeah, life is broken right now, right? Like during these times, like, you know, I've experienced death, right? In like my family, the family of those that I've loved, and you know, I've experienced brokenness, right? Like I've been broken, you know, I've watched it on the TV, like all, all this stuff, right? And so, yeah, we need a hug. Um, but, you know, maybe you need this but God sign in your life, right? Amidst what seems like a hopeless narrative where, you know, it started off well and then it just has gone downhill. Or maybe you need, you know, some duct tape, to heal some brokenness in yourself, in your family, or in the world. Or maybe you've gone your own way, and you realize you've been treating your Tooks bar all wrong. But ultimately, it's not about these things, but what they point to, Jesus. Right, Jesus is greater than a but God sign to wave around on the screen or in the street corner. No, he is what all things all signs point to, the one with the power to actually change the broken narrative of my life, your life, and the world. Right? Jesus is better than duct tape. Right? He doesn't just fix us, but he makes us into new creations. And, you know, Jesus is better than Twix bar. Right? He isn't just the right way to live in this momentary life, but offers sweet relationship with him for eternity. So the reality is, ever since we left the garden, 
we've had a dash on our gravestones. Our numbered days are filled with all kinds of brokenness. But Jesus stepped into that narrative and offers a better way, the only way to life. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. How sweet is that? Let's pray. Oh man, Jesus, you are so good. And Lord, if people take anything away from this, Lord, I just pray that they would worship you. God, that it is broken. Lord, death and sin uh, are, are dark. Lord, but you're the light in that. And so I pray that we would seek you and give you all the glory that you deserve. Pray this in your sons. Holy, holy, holy name. Amen.